Welcome to the Week 9 Game Theory and Money Podcast. What separates us from the rest? Well, uh, really, it's Cynthia Freeland. That's what it is. It's all those degrees, the MBA, the predictive analytics from that fancy spot at Northwestern University on the banks of Lake Michigan. Oh, the times that I spent at Biddy Mulligan's listening to Uncle John's band, a Grateful Dead cover band, one of the finest in the nation, Cynthia. But while I was doing that, you were learning math. And that's why we are here. You didn't end up at the hangy uppy? I did not. No I did not do the hate. No, I was a Biddy Mulligan's guy. But okay. hey, here we are. I like are. late night hang up. Yes. Great. I, well, you would know better than I. You spent considerably <laughs> more time. I was like, you know what it was? I was kind of like the uh, the cutters in breaking away for the students at Indiana University. I was a south side piece of white trash mingling in the uh, north side fancy folks neighborhood uh, while you were busy oh getting degrees. Oh anyway, that's why we're here, Cynthia, because you last week went freaking 12 and 0. 12 and 0. Now, because I decided to side with you on all your picks, I ended up going 5 and 0. But uh, 1,000 winning percentage for Game Theory and Money Podcast in week 8. And how about this, Cynthia? 12 and 3. The previous week, so uh, I can actually do this math. Twenty-four and three for Cynthia Freeland. Who <laughs> last two weeks? It is ridiculous. Listen, don't you can be all humble there, and you don't want to say a word, and that's fine. I will continue to sing your praises. You predicted a seven-point win for the Saints, and they won by eight. You predicted a four-point win for the Seahawks, and they won by three. Three-point win for the Steelers, and they won by? Five. And you predicted 28-19 Chiefs, and the final score against the Broncos was? 29-19. Yeah, exactly. One point really got me. It, uh, yes, shame. I'll bring out the shame bell for you on that one, <laughs> Cynthia. It was uh, a heck of a week, and it continues to be one heck of a run. Now, in a minute, we're going to use those uh, big brain numbers and her degrees for her 10,000 simulations. That's really what we're talking about. Predictive analytics and uh, using all of the factors that you like to plug into your formulas to determine what you think ultimately will happen in a game. But before we get to the games and our matchup of the week and the Freeland forecast, Cynthia, let's get to the trade deadline because this is not something we're used to in the NFL. Big names being moved from place to place and we'll start with the biggest because it's a quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo to the 49ers. I love this move. I think it's actually a win-win on both sides. I think, you know, the 49ers had a lot of extra draft equity. They had a second round, two second round picks. So they still have one left. They have one that they acquired from the Saints. So they're not really giving up a whole bunch to go out and get Jimmy Garoppolo. And not just because I think I'm not going to crown him as their quarterback of the future. I'm going to say now the 49ers strategically can make a decision. They have firsthand knowledge. Kyle Shanahan worked with Kirk Cousins in Washington. So that 30 million ish contract. They know what they could be getting for that. They also well, know. I think that's gone now. The 30 million is gone. I don't. Oh, because I, I, don't. I mean, the second round is still, uh, that's still high value. Even though it's an extra pick, it's still a second round pick. I would assume that this was the pre evaluation. Hey, you just said it. Kirk Cousins is going to cost us 30 million. Are we more comfortable with Kirk at 30? Or that's Jimmy what I'm saying. at 18. Uh, J- well, I they could franchise tag him at 23, 20. right? Yeah. 23 would be his franchise tag value. But I think he'd do a long-term deal for 20. Let's just say it would be like that Brock Osweiler kind of deal. No, no, I, I, I'm totally with you. But this gives them the ultimate m- amount of options. So, really, they could figure out who's the best. They're not going to win enough games to change their draft position significantly. Jimmy Garoppolo might not even really play all that much, but they're going to have firsthand inside knowledge of him. So they're going to be able to strategically say, is this going to sign him to? It's 434 k But you know what they could do? You mentioned they're not going to win enough games, but they could win enough. Because if they just win two games, and if they tag Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen, and they think those guys are going to go one and two, you know, Mm -hmm. back-to-back, and they're now sitting at three – That's out of their control. Jimmy Garoppolo gives them a little bit of control. Like, hey, 
if we do win those two or three games that teams tend to fall into, we don't have to freak out because we feel okay about Jimmy Garoppolo and we missed out on Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen. I just think that ultimately the creation of options. So you have now, you're going to stay high draft pick. You're, no one's predicting that they fall to like number 10 in the no. draft, right? So you're staying in this high draft position. They've got eight picks left still. So they could combine picks to trade up in the second or first, where, wherever they want to be, go back into the first and, you know, from their equity that they've created. And they've got 100 million probably, so 60 million from last year. And then probably what's most realistic there. That's a lot of cap space, maybe the second to fourth most. It really depends on how things net out at the end of the year. So they got a lot of money. Now they have a lot of options, and then they'll have a lot of information. They know about Cousins. They know about. They'll now know about Garoppolo, and then their scouts. They can trust. They they have a really great situation here. I think it's a it's a baller move. I think the biggest loser, just quickly, uh, is Kirk Cousins because I think it was clear that he wanted to go play for Kyle Shanahan. And I guess we just disagree on this. I think that is done. That is out. He's got other options. Maybe it's the Jets, the Jaguars, the Browns the Redskins, whatever it may be, I can't imagine giving up prop, what essentially is a first-round pick. If they're going to stay in this, you're talking yeah, about 35, pick 34, 30, 35. Right, That's yep. a first-round pick to then just go out and sign. I, see, I don't agent. think so at all because they don't have – Jimmy Garoppolo's free agent after this year. They don't have to extend him. They don't have to do anything with him. They've spent 434 k that they being the 49ers, to create options for themselves. It doesn't take Kirk Cousins off the table at all for me. If anything, it probably maybe even makes his contract a little bit – if he wants to go play for Kyle Shanahan, maybe he'll accept a deal that's a little bit less cash-rich for them. So yeah, I guess it, it's uh, – well, look. We'll see what happens because yeah. when he played in the preseason, he looked great. When he played, I mean, that's the one thing that I guess we didn't really address is how good is Jimmy Garoppolo because we don't really know. But no. the two games that he played in, he played great, completed yeah, 70% not, of his passes. Um, I'm you not, know. I, I also, I'm not, I think he took like 63 attempts. He has yeah. like 94 on his career. I'm not saying anything about his performance. I'm saying about the creation, about of, the, deal. the creation of options. And I will say on New England side, it's also a great deal for them. They only had four picks in the draft prior to this one, and now they will have a fifth yeah. pick. So and I guess the question is, could they have traded him at the draft for a better return? Well, they would have had to re-sign him first. They would have had to re-sign him, negotiate no, no, no. a deal I there. meant the 2017 draft. Oh, oh, You know, oh. when yeah, everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. was maybe yep. taking one of those, you know, but Bill Belichick, if you believe the rumors, refused to send him to the Browns. You know, old right. uh, grudges do not die with No, Bill they Belichick. never die. So, how about Dwayne Brown to the Seahawks? This is a big one for a team in desperate need of offensive line help. Oh, this is a I, – I love this. You know, we talked about this as a potential one, and I, I – I kind of heard little rumors about Dwayne Brown that ended up being true. I really, I really like this. Look, look. When you look at Russell Wilson, how often he's been hit—not just sacks, but like hit hits, pressures, pressures, right? Like 8.1 quarterback hits per game. That's fourth most in the NFL. Tons of sacks. They're coming on the left side. They're going from probably, you know, and by many ways of judging pressure, the worst left tackle that's played enough snaps this season to be great. Robinson's still in the league for the Detroit Lions. Well, I don't know if he, <laughs> I, think, yeah. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> worse than that. You're right. You know, it, it is like, it's bad. But it's, what you're but it's yeah. you know, one of the worst, amongst the worst, and now you're going to someone who we don't have a ton of information on on this this year, but in his past performance has been a significant upgrade. I like it a lot. And you know what? Sean O'Hara is coming on later in this pod to kind of help us contextualize that a little bit more, which is really great. He gives us some great information on how quickly a veteran like Dwayne Brown's going to be able to adapt to the system and kind of just translate the different reads and be a big upgrade for Russell Wilson right away. All right, how about the uh, Adam Gase? Uh, believe what I say, because if you don't, I will prove it to you. And that is certainly what I took away from the Jay Ajayi trade to the Eagles after his post-game rant. I love it. Yeah. I think, look, 
what do they have to lose at this point? I'm not saying that, you know, J look, JGI this year is totally different. When I chart JGI this year versus last year, last year, his ability to, to break tackles, his ability to get those, you know, 10 and 15-yard rushes, way different than this year. Now, their O-line and Miami has been a problem, so it's a little chicken, a little egg, but it doesn't appear that this is going to be something that really hamstrings them going forward, especially because there's injury concerns and Honestly, if Gase wants to shake things up and kind of, you know, get his team back I think in alignment. He certainly got their attention. I, I, think, he, yeah. I think he achieved that. Do you like it in Miami? Do you like South Florida? Because if you do, you better uh, start changing cold your act. This I mean, time that, was, yeah. that was a heck of a message. And, I, think it's, and, I think it's great for the Eagles, yeah. too. I, I do think it's a good Well, trade. I mean, for a fourth rounder, my goodness, for a team that was yeah, rotating in three backs, that's, that's nothing. Like you said, if Jay can get back to being what he was last year, what a haul for – you know what it says, too? It says that the Eagles are – you know, really good at making deals. Well, they just look around and they're like, okay, who are we afraid of? When we look around the NFC, no Aaron Rodgers. You know, right. the fact the Seahawks can't run the ball. We watched Deshaun Watson just tear apart the Legion mm -hmm. of Boom. That's my guess is they say, whatever, you know, let's let's go. We, we feel like we have perhaps let's the go. best team in the NFC. Let's go. <laughs> uh, and finally, Kelvin Benjamin to the Bills, who had kind of traded away their number one, watched Robert Woods walk away in free agency, and now they have a legit wide receiver back in the fold. They dealt Marcel Dar Darius. Yeah. Like, they, they've been making some moves. I like the Bills. They're being kind of aggressive this year. I think that it kind of signifies to me that they think they've got something special, and they're really trying to make it work. The thing I found about Calvin Benjamin that maybe people didn't really notice is how often he lined up in the slot, like his most often alignment in Carolina was in the slot. He's a big body. He's like 6'5". I think he's listed at like 243, but he's huge. I'm not sure he's, he weighs 243 pounds, but I'm yeah. not weighing him. So the point is, is he's loading the box with defenders. So it opens things up in Carolina so they could potentially change the way that they're playing. But it also in the Bills, like that's the Bills run the ball. And if you're loading the box on them and you're having making defenses account for Kelvin Benjamin, like that'll give their run game a lot of an upgrade, even though, you know, obviously he's a he's really going to be a big help in the passing game, but it also helps our run game, too. I, I like this move. Yeah, and you mentioned the uh, Marcel Darius trade. We'll get to that a little bit more when we preview the Bengals-Jaguars uh, game, yep. but I feel bad for the Bengals and probably to some degree the Chargers because I'm guessing that Marcel Darius is going to be spectacular for the first couple games that he makes, you know, that he makes his debut for the Jags, but then, look, old habits die hard. You know, we kind of heard stories about Darius week in and week out and the issues that he created just from a personality, kind of the way he approached the game in practice, and you wonder if those will show up again Tom in Jacksonville. In. Well, that's the thing. I mean, he, right. he had a good relationship with Doug Marone, his former coach in Buffalo. But again, we'll get to that uh, yep. in a little bit. I do want to point out, by the way, with the Bills staring at perhaps ending the longest playoff drought in all of sports, somebody made a prediction uh, before a lot of folks came around to uh, saying the Bills, in fact, were going to end that drought. And this was a little while back. Here we go. Take a listen. This is a team that I think actually does make the playoffs. I'm calling it today on the Bills. Um, I think the Bills are making Bills it. make the playoffs. Now, do I think they're winning their division? And oh, hey, whatever, man. They haven't but been in the playoffs in I'm 20 years. I'm talking about playoffs. That's right. All right, that's it. I'm not singing your praises anymore for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> that is way too much shine for you, Cynthia. Way I don't want too you much. getting don't totally, get the, You got the big brain. I, know, I'm not I almost gonna, don't know what to do with yeah, myself. <laughs> not going to let you get the big head. Let's get to our matchup of the week: Chiefs, Cowboys. Winner, score, go. Winner, Kansas City. Score, 24-21. Okay, so is that, uh, well, I guess with these being the two highest scoring teams of the last few weeks, that's maybe kind of a low score, right? 
Yeah, it's it's lower than you might imagine. Part of the reason for that is, okay, so Kansas City's defense, that's kind of, we've Oof. identified that as what happened the, there? the problem area. One of the things you look at is big plays per game. So if you add up the runs of 10 plus and the passes of 20 plus, the defense that's allowing the most of those per game, the Kansas City Chiefs. So it's 8.9. And they're also allowing people to score 54% of the time that they enter the red zone. It's really the run defense that's been the biggest problem here. So when you say run defense, you think, okay, Cowboys, Ezekiel Elliott, oh, wait. They're going to be without him. So is Alfred Morris? That's are they the going question, to, yeah. Right. Are they going to be able to keep that same production? Are they going to be able to allow the Cowboys to get those first downs, to keep their offense on the field? Justin Houston with pressure is great. Now, the Cowboys O-line has been great at stopping um, Dak Prescott from being sacked. But without that run game to stabilize it, and especially, by the way, a little flag here for fantasy, Des Bryant has appeared on the injury report this week. So without that, you have a lot of question marks, and those question marks lead to potentially more turnovers and not quite what you'd like to see from this, the potential for the Dallas Cowboys offense, given that we absolutely know that this Chiefs offense is firing on all cylinders. Alex Smith, the best passer rating on deep balls. Like, who would have thought, right? Right. <laughs> and he's got 16 touchdowns, no interceptions so far. He's probably your odds-on favorite to win the MVP at I this point. I got Carson Wentz. I mean, I, I think Carson those are Wentz. kind of your one two, and right. your 1A right now. Um, but with Ezekiel Elliott's suspension, I'm sorry, Alfred Morris. Uh, you're insulted. Yeah, right. you, Rod Smith and, and Alfred Morris are insulted by everybody saying that the Cowboys may disappear from the playoff picture. Yes, that's how good Ezekiel Elliott has been. You're talking about nearly 180 scrimmage mm -hmm. yards uh, in these last few games, and he has been running at a ridiculous clip. And when you take him out of that mix, yes, you can help make Dak Prescott perhaps beat you with the pass. And we don't know if he can do that without Ezekiel Elliott back there. And one other factor that could influence this is Kansas City activated Steven Nelson. He's a cornerback from IR. I'm not saying that this is going to totally change their secondary, but with Marcus Peters there, that could be an upgrade for them, especially if Des Bryant is, in fact, not 100%. I don't know if it was kind of the, the, the fake day off injury or right. the, the real injury the situation. Day. Right. Yeah, the one interesting thing about the Cowboys is, I mean, what? Look, they play great with the lead. That's that's the reality. Mm -hmm. Is they have a chance to let Demarcus Lawrence pin his ears back and go after the quarterback and one but, you sack know, per game, yeah. at least, right? At least like, he's ten great. and a half, and a half leading the total. league. Um, but the return of Sean Lee, they're pointing to as mm -hmm. a big shift. In yeah, without Sean Lee, defense. 35 points per game allowed. With Sean Lee, 18.2. Absolutely, that's mm -hmm. part of what's driving it down. Yeah, and one of those games was against the 49ers, right. uh, in which they allowed, you know, what, five sacks? I think they, they right. got C.J. Beathard. Anyway, um, I think this is the Ezekiel Elliott game. If he plays and we're still, you know, when we're recording this podcast, it looks like he's not going like he's to. Not. Right. Um, you feel a lot better about the Cowboys than you do without him. Absolutely. And I think the interesting thing, too, will be just the gambling nature of Marcus Peters right. with Des Bryant, who is, bar none, I believe to be the best 50-50 ball oh, wide receiver. It's not even close. And when you have a gambling quarterback, it'll be interesting to see how often uh, Dak is willing to go his way and just trust his receiver. You know, believe, hey, I, I know Peters is a ball hawk and he has, what, more interceptions uh, than any player in the last, I think, two and a half years or whatever it might be. But um, just believing that your guy can beat him because Marcus Peters takes enough gambles where that yep. could actually be something that you can't afford to exploit. All right, so I, I back you up. I'm with Kansas City because I'm assuming that Zeke's not going to Agreed. play. All right, that moves us to our Freeland forecast. Are we ready for that? Are we? We're ready for All that. Right. Falcons, Panthers. Winner score. Winner, Falcons.
Score, 24-23. Close one. Tight game. So my, I love my metric on the Falcons because it, this is so indicative of what's going on with them this season. So number 27, turnover differential. That's bad. M minus five, which means that they are turning the ball over more than they're causing turnovers to their opponents. When you consider their pace, they play at the slowest pace in the past two years of any team. Pace meaning how many drives they get, how how quickly between snaps they're they're firing off the ball. And they have the most, so they're starting at the worst field position and they have the most 10 plus drives, but none of them are turning into touchdowns. Well, okay, not none of them, but compared to last yeah, year, their red, their red zone is a disaster. And when you're playing, you only have fewer drives per game than your opponents. When you're taking up a bunch of time and they're not ending up in points, you see what happened. 2.89 points per drive last season, like 2.06 this season. But when you have so few drives, you can't make up for a deficit. So in this game, that turnover differential, Cam Newton, by the way, Panthers, number 29 in turnover differential, minus seven. That's going to be, you know, in every game, turnover differential really matters. But in this game, that's going to be the biggest distinguishing factor because these defenses, the Panthers' defense is a little bit better than the Atlanta's defense on the yeah, whole. Yeah, the Panthers' defense has been great. When you they're know? healthy. It's exactly. When now they're with healthy. Luke Keekley back and um, right. the – I don't want to say the Falcons defense has been terrible. It hasn't. I think you said it. You know, Matt Ryan's throwing interceptions. And the biggest thing to me, I just I looked to Cincinnati, right? What what turned things around for Cincinnati when Bill Lazor took over and said, Hey Andy, throw the ball to AJ Green. Stop targeting these other receivers. This is a pretty easy formula for you. Throw it up, let him go get it. For whatever reason, Julio Jones is not getting targets, Matt. And I don't know if that's you know, there's obviously things that happen. Is is Matt Ryan under more pressure and the routes that he's used to throwing to Julio Jones aren't able to develop because he's under more pressure? There are other things involved, but you would assume that's a pretty simple fix, especially for a division opponent that Julio has regularly dominated. Mm -hmm. And I've got to believe if they're going to change that script, this yep. is the week to do it for Julio Jones. Yeah, and of course we have to make the note here with the Calvin Benjamin trade. Devin Funches, who's seen six or more targets in seven games and 11 in the game without Calvin Benjamin against the Saints earlier this season, that projects to be their number one wideout with Russell Shepard and Curtis Samuel being some like flyers. We're still waiting that you for that take. Curtis Samuel thing to, to come to fruition. Is it a thing? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we thought it was going to be, right, when they drafted he and Christian McCaffrey, that they were going to totally revamp that passing game. And, right. and look, while the catches are nice and it's it looks good on paper when you see how many catches and targets Christian McCaffrey has, it just hasn't quite developed, I think, the way that we thought it was going to, to develop. And I think a lot of that's because of the running game. I mean, right. Cam is still kind of their leading rusher, and I assume that's not what they want. And he has the, their want. leading fumbler with five. Yeah, that's what right. I mean. Five you know, that's a product of him running the ball too much because they have not been able to establish that running Situational game. football, he has been very poor this season compared to what we would have expected from him. A 51.2 passer rating under pressure. That's that's not that's good. Not good. I'm going to take the Panthers, down. though. I just think with Keekley back and that defense, this to me looks like, you just said it, a turnover game. And I believe in that defense maybe creating the one or two extra turnovers. All right, you're going Panthers. I'm, I'm going, going Panthers. Falcons. You're going Falcons. Next one up, Ravens, Titans, winner score. All right, so this one has an asterisk because Joe Flacco has cleared the concussion protocol. Right. But, I, you know, check with me on Sunday about this one. But I have Tennessee 21-20. Okay. But that's – Assuming Flacco is, is good, which have, we believe I he's have, going to be. I have 80% Flacco. Like, he doesn't Now, is that game. because you think Ryan Mallett comes in and just starts slinging it all over the place? Oh, and goodness. it's Air Raid Ravens, huh? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> all right, no, you're not. You're saying – No. <laughs> so, a fun stat that's not super predictive, but Joe Flacco's faced a Dick LeBeau defense seven times. All those AFC North battles Right, when he was in the Steelers, 7-0 against – 
Dick LeBeau, which, you know, obviously that better versus pitcher a little bit. But it is interesting. You always want to, like, consider starting Alex Collins and now uh, Ben Watson if you're looking for fantasy options in this one. But here's, here's really what it boils down to for me. Marcus Mariota getting healthier. So Marcus Mario, Mariota has had no touchdown passes in the past th in three games this week. And until week five when his hamstring kind of we got injured, I'm not sure how injured it is, but when he had a hamstring problem, he was averaging 30 rush yards per game. And that was making a big difference in their ability to win and control the clock. When after that, once his hamstring was not working for him, then it really changed the dynamic. DeMarco Murray and uh, Derrick Henry have been splitting the backfield, shared yeah, backfield. It's been 50-50, no doubt. I mean, yeah. I, to me, it's the bye week, right? It's the and, yep. and I don't know what his hamstring looks like. I don't know how healthy it is. But right. when Mariota's able to run around and, and beat you with his legs, it changes everything. When their whole it puts your run defense game on the is heels. working, right. right? Their yards after contact this year are significantly down. And that, that is a little skewed by Mariota, you know, because – when he runs a lot, he's not getting a ton of yards after contact, right? Like, that's not right. how that works for him. But in general... And that's because he's good at keeping himself healthy. Correct. I'm not taking the hit. I know what to get. I'll slide. I'll step out of bounds. It's very Russell Wilson-esque, where right. you worry about them when they start running, but then you realize, oh, no, they, they know how to do this. Right. They, they understand how to protect themselves. So it comes down to that hamstring. You know, has mm -hmm. he had enough time with the bye week? for it to, uh, to get healthy. Mariota in the red zone is where it, what's going to come down to in this game. Last year, they were the best red zone touchdown percentage in the NFL due to Mariota's ability to run and keeping defenses honest with how they line up and create space. But now they're ranked 31st. That's not great, obviously. Second worst. And Mariota himself is the second worst in terms of completion percentage in the red zone. So, you know, that's those are problematic. Let's hope that that I mean, the big thing with the Ravens, After. right, you think about their wins and their losses. Their wins have been overwhelming. Oh, yeah. Their losses have oh, been yes. overwhelming. Um, and they need that defense to operate, you know, high efficiency. These are probably, this might be your best set of tackles in the league, you know. I mean, in Lawan and Conklin, and if they can keep You're him. You're just previewing O'Hara's interview so much. I love <laughs> oh, yeah. it. Yeah, well, there we go. Too, so yeah. he can get into that. But uh, So I'm with you is what I'm saying. I, yeah. I go Titans as well, just hoping, because I really like watching Marcus Mariota play football uh, yep. the way he does. Uh, just the dual threat that he is. So I will go Titans as well. All right, we mentioned it uh, with the trade of Marcel Darius to Jacksonville, one of the best defenses, uh, at least defensive fronts when it comes to pressuring the quarterback in the league. Bengals-Jaguars winner, score. Jaguars, 24-17. I think people are not necessarily on board. I don't know. I hear, I, like you can it, understand, I think, people's 100%, trepidation, right? 100%. But you have to remember that Cincinnati's defense has had spotty games as well. Right, so they've allowed only 12, whatever. They, they they haven't allowed a ton of touchdowns. Third fewest 12 touchdowns, and the fourth fewest big plays allowed. But these numbers need to be put in context because teams haven't needed big plays in order to beat them. So if you look at them, some of their numbers look really good on paper, but when you put them into context, it's really a different story. Now Jacksonville has only had one game that's been decided by single digit, and that was a three-point loss. Either it's been big swings, yes, big swings, no. And with Darius, what they're doing is they're really trying to shore up that run defense, which is the one thing that if you can point to a deficiency well, in this defense. Dead last. Right, dead last, 100, almost 140 yards per game allowed. And that's uh, what they're hoping that he changes. So his run stuff percentage, which means the amount of time that he's stopping a running back in their own backfield, is 10.2. It's number 20 this year, and the average is about 7.7. .7. So it, in this game, you could see Joe Mixon be stopped behind the line of scrimmage more than you would have seen had 
Darius Nava. I mean, if you talk to people that were around Darius, you know, not only at Alabama, but even after he got into the NFL, mm -hmm. they'll tell you he is one of the biggest bodies, toughest to block defensive mm -hmm. tackles going. He just, his mind, you know, his head wasn't right. Um, so I got sent home, you know, and why Sean McDermott, who's a defensive guy, doesn't want one of the most talented defensive tackles in the league, and they gave him up for nothing. Obviously, the contract has a lot to do with that and the amount of money he was being paid for being somewhat of a disruptive force on a team that looks like they're going to make a playoff run. Um, but change of scenery can do those funny things, and this being his first game there, with those two guys flying off the edges, putting him in the middle is going to make this team again, if he's right, if his head's right, so much better. Um, I mean, they... As limited as they are offensively, it'll be interesting to see if the Jags can do it with defense. Again, this week is one where I have their defense with better odds of scoring a touchdown than, than each individual <laughs> individual receiver. Like, obviously, A.J. Green has is good touchdown odds uh, for Cincinnati. But if you look at, like, all of the different, like, every receiver other than A.J. Green in this, and A.J. Green is a tough matchup in this sure. one, but every other receiver on both the Bengals and the Jags side, the Jags defense has a better percentage, like 0.69% chance of scoring a touchdown than everyone other than A.J. Green, which I think is hilarious. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's going to be the interesting, I guess, the, the matchup, because we know Ramsey yep. is probably going to shadow Green a lot, and he's so darn good. And then you look Boye. for that second. Yeah, Boye's good, but can be... I think that's where you can make some bones there, you right. know, um, but they just. But still the combination they don't really of have, the two of them. Exactly. Like, um, I, that's just going to be. Again, man, tricky. I'm agreeing with you again. I'm taking the, the Jags as well. well. It worked out Who for thought, you last right? week. It look worked out, out for you last week. Look out for the Jaguars. It did work out for me last week. All right, our <laughs> final of the forecast. Uh, this might be the best. This is the best one of the bunch. I think the Redskins mm -hmm. and the Seahawks, just because it is exciting to see, to see the Seahawks in November um, because they tend oh, to good. dominate. You know what? Kirk Cousins in November is really good, too. Like, well, I love all the Russell Wilson stats in November. Kirk Cousins is right I'm up there. Some are more. Some are, like, Kirk and that's Cousins a Pete Carroll thing, too. by the way, going back to SC. Like, you look at his November record at USC, it's crazy. It makes no sense because they're different opponents. But for whatever reason, calendar month of November is Pete Carroll time. All right, let's go. Redskins, Seahawks, winner, <laughs> score. Winner, Seahawks, score, 27-18. Got it? Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I'll just I'll get that out of the way right now. Yes, I'm with you. Why? That old line is a disaster just, that's for the, the Redskins. One. Left tackle Trent Williams is not Banged up. probably not going, looking right. like he's probably not going to play. Brandon Sheriff, like they, there's I, four of their O linemen. Yeah. Their starting O linemen are at least banged up, may or may not play. Likely no Jordan Reed. So you got Vernon Davis subbed in there, and Chris Thompson gets a boost for fantasy purposes. But that's a lot to overcome, especially when Terrell Pryor has not been who you've thought he was going to be. You've seen spotty performances from their wide receivers in general. If I may interject. Yeah. Terrell Pryor is exactly who I thought it was going to be in Washington. <laughs> I want to make that point clear. I was, I, it was so apparent in the preseason that Kirk Cousins was not a Terrell Pryor guy. And the fact those two started snipping at one another even before the season began, you just knew it's just not set up well uh, to move forward. And you know what? When you're going against the Legion of Boom, it's one thing to have DeAndre Hopkins uh, and a dynamic mm -hmm. dual threat like Deshaun Watson. And what does he have? He's got Chris Thompson as his leading rusher and receiver in Washington. Chris Thompson's great. Yeah, Chris he's Thompson's been great. Like really nice but surprise. Jordan Reed is out of this game. He's injured. So what right. do you do if you're Kirk Cousins? Well, you look at his third down you percentage lose. in your number 17. That's went from number 17 to number 21. I, look, there's all these things that have fourth quarter, like all these dips, right? Like he, from last year, it's not, it's not 
going to be the best projection for him in this game. In terms of fantasy, I would stay away from Kirk, playing Kirk Cousins. The only saving grace is maybe the potential, saving grace meaning like for Kirk Cousins' fantasy day, maybe the potential that Earl Thomas might not play, probably you know not looking like. And that like, changes the defense a lot. Yep, passer rating goes up 20% for opposing quarter, or 20 points for opposing quarterbacks, and the touchdown interception ratio does change dramatically, so that could be kind of what you might look to, but unfortunately for me in this one, the matchup is far more weighted in Seattle's favor. And it just popped into my head. What? I just thought of it. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, it just popped into my head. I might get the year wrong, but I think it was, the, yeah, because 2012 on. So it was the uh, 2011 Big Ten Championship, Wisconsin-Michigan State, uh -huh. Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins, and that late, I want to say it was Monte Ball, yep, yep, that late pass yep. to Monte Ball. I love it. That booted those Spartans and uh, sent Russell Wilson Listen, out this way. What are you, why, what's going on with you in East Lansing? I, that's where I'm from, man. I know. I'm just saying <laughs> I remember that game because then Wisconsin came out to play the Rose Bowl. And remember, the Aberderis drop mm -hmm. um, in the Rose Bowl game in which Russell Wilson uh, ended up losing to who? I don't remember. Um, Wasn't it Oregon? It was. It was Oregon. It was the uh, LaMichael James game, as a matter of fact. So uh, there you go. All right, little college football nugget in there for you. And uh, that means we have finished with the Freeland forecast. Well done, Cynthia. All right, Miz 12-0, uh, looking to replicate that performance from last week. Let's get to our quick picks. We're doing seven games in ten minutes. How about, I don't want to say the surprise Saints, but yeah, I'm going to say the surprise Saints because they're one of the best defenses in the uh, National Football League and they're leading the NFC South. Bucks Saints, winner score. The winner is the Saints. The score is 28-21. You know who has the best completion percentage in the NFL right now? Well, I guess by default I would say Tom Brady or <laughs> Drew Brees. Well, there you go. It's one of those two. I'm always going to say Brady or Brees. <laughs> it's Drew Brees. And he's not having a great season, by the way. Like, his numbers aren't great because he's leaning on the defense. He doesn't you know? need to be I mean, so he's great. He's not slinging it around like we're used to seeing Drew Brees slinging around. Not so good for fantasy, but good for right. if you're a Saints fan. Jameis Winston, he's number 20 with a 62% completion percentage, 10 touchdowns to 6 interceptions. Not he can't great. get those interceptions under control. The matchup that I want you to watch this week is Mike Evans versus Marshawn Lattimore. Lattimore has been like a big difference maker in this. Once the Saints trusted their corners, and especially Lattimore, that's when you saw them not blitz as much, and as soon as they've stopped blitzing as much, that's when their defense has really come together, and that's kind of been the, one of the linchpins for the difference-making in the Saints defense. Yeah, there were people that had Lattimore rated as a top two, top three player in the draft coming out. Slipped a little bit, but man, has he been something. And I want to point out, just because I love third down defense information, you know who was worst in the third down defense in the NFL? Well, since we're talking about the Buccaneers and the Saints, I'm going to guess the Buccaneers yep, because the right. Saints have been pretty mm -hmm. good. Yeah. All right, yep. there you go. So uh, <laughs> you have New Orleans winning that, 28-21. All right, to the Rams and Giants. I have the Rams winning 24-20. Okay. A little tighter than I would have thought with uh, one of the most explosive offenses in all the NFL heading up against a team that, well, is searching for a wide receiver that isn't a tight end to help it's, their cause. I think it's smart that you pointed that out because the past three games, the Rams have held their opponents under 20 points. And you've seen the Giants, you know, there was a streak going on where they hadn't scored 20 points in quite some time. I do think part of the reason why we see improvement here, Evan Ingram has a better matchup than you might see, and he's their lead receiver. Yeah. So that's kind of where this comes into play a little bit, and they're getting their running game going not 
in a pretty way, but more by committee and situational situa situational situations. Situational um, the opportunities. The redundancy. <laughs> so yeah, the Rams actually have the number one third down offense right now. There's, you know, Janoris Jenkins not playing. That changes things a little bit. That makes the score, that made the score go up a little bit more for me than, you know, I think I had the Rams 23-20 before that. Now it's 24-20. It's not that big of a change. I, uh, I ask you a simple question before we Please. move on. Uh, Eli Manning, is he mobile? <laughs> it's, it's, Super mobile. Yeah. Just not when he's playing football. Aaron Donald rushing straight up the middle, mm -hmm. yeah. right into Eli Manning's face. I see that as being a major How many major sacks are you calling problem. for? Right, just major problem. Turnovers, disaster, I feel like you should be fumbles, tied to a sack number with three. Yeah. You want three sacks? Here's what I envision. You know how Pro Football Focus does like their top four interior linemen yep. of the week? Yep. And they have like the color bar graph. Uh -huh. So Aaron Donald's is going to be like 60 stories tall, and the next player is going to be like a third of that <laughs> coming out of week nine. All right. Uh, Broncos. Eagles, a little strife and discord in Denver, huh? Oh, yes. So I have Philadelphia coming out on top, 31-17. I, lo I love when my model spits out anything over 30. That's kind of rare to get such a big number. But it really shows the fact that the Eagles, so first of all, the Eagles' defense sets their offense up for great situations. They give them nice field position. They create turnovers. They create mismatches, turnovers. Please flag that one in this one. I, Barack Osweiler, that opportunity in this game seems to be higher than normal. So, Is Ajayi in this, by the way? Did you plug him in, and did that change anything for you? Is that why it went over 30 points? Nope. Okay. <laughs> I did plug him in. It's more Ertz. It's more, you know, the, like the Broncos – opportunity so it's it's a number of drives it's really turnovers on the Broncos offense leading them to have more Philadelphia Eagles opportunities so more drives more you know rolls of the dice for them to get into the end zone gotcha. so it's, it's more about the number of drives like this one I project like about 12 drives for the Eagles think of 10 you know as a low number 11 as like an average number so between 12 and 13 that's a lot of drives for the Eagles based on turnovers just point out um John Elway, for as great a quarterback as he was, and he might be the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL, does not know how to evaluate quarterbacks. You know, when you think about the mess that Pax Paxton Lynch has not been able to beat out Trevor Simeon, uh, Brock Osweiler, he tried to give him $65 million, and he wouldn't take it. Um, and now he's starting, and Trevor Simeon... Listen, look, Brock, a, Osweiler, a, Brock Osweiler finagled us all. He got paid so much money to yeah. end up exactly where he's... And sitting. guess what? The Broncos tried to give it to him. So that's... I think it's... There, there is not a good situation, a quarterback in Denver, with, you know, save his pitch to Peyton Manning um, that really turned his fortunes around. So... I'm with you. Just lopsided victory in favor of the Eagles, and this could send the Broncos in a real bad direction for the remainder of the season. Poor Vance. Uh, I like Vance Joseph, too. Let's shift uh, let's to shift. the greatest story, perhaps, in all the NFL, and that is that Dabo Swinney was right about Deshaun Watson being the Michael Jordan when of the draft. When is Dabo Swinney wrong about anything? Right? Love him after games. Well, there are a few <laughs> things, but we'll stay away from those. His post games um, are so funny, yeah, though. All right, Colts, Texans. <laughs> all right, Houston, 30. Indianapolis 17. Okay. You want to give us a fantasy nugget because there's probably not a whole lot that's going to. Jack Doyle okay. leads the league in the past three weeks for tight ends in terms of percentage of targets. Jack Doyle. Jack Doyle. Love I always try Jack to find Doyle. a Jack Doyle number for you. Thank and you. he's actually number four if you include wide receivers. That's percentage basis, right? More it's targets than Julio Jones. Jack Doyle. On a percentage basis. Yeah, well, and that. an actual basis for Julio yeah. Jones, right? So that's interesting. And I love the Will Fuller. Seven of his 11 receptions went for touchdowns. By the way, that's unsustainable production level. I'm not saying he's not going to score touchdowns. But I'm I, seven for 11 is just it's unsustainable it's like 
I'm going to say yes. Yeah. I'm going to say you're right. So everyone's yes. clear. He will not have 14 touchdowns in 22 receptions. And a fun batter versus pitcher stat. Nuke, no touchdowns in seven meetings against Vontae Davis. So just, okay. you know, something fun to know for your friends. Uh, you divisional can, matchup. Right. Divisional when you're having matchup. snacks on Sunday, you, you can, you know, pull that one out. Cards 49ers. <laughs> I have Arizona 22, Niners 20. Okay. Still in the running for the number one pick Listen, in San Francisco. Dear Drew Stanton. Welcome to the league. I believe right now Michigan State has more starting quarterbacks in the league than anyone else. They do. Well, maybe not starting, right? Hoyer's not starting anymore. Oh, I don't know. Right. Anyway, so more active quarterbacks, right? You've got Cousins. You've got Drew Stanton. You've got Brian Hoyer. Anyways, we can talk about that later. Uh, now you're going to make my gears turn here. Go ahead. Do your analysis while my brain works on this. All right. So Adrian Peterson could be a good fantasy pick in this one. Um, I think that if you look at how poorly the Niners' defense has allowed or I guess has they've been very generous to opposing running backs. And you did see Adrian Peterson average at 5.2 yards per carry against Tampa Bay. It was over 130 total yards. This could be a game where if you're in fantasy looking for a running back and Adrian Peterson's available, this could be a smart, a smart choice. I'm going to go just uh, not that I need to make a pick in here, but this is where I think the 49ers fall into one of those wins, right? You know, where it, it is. I have, I although have an I guess asterisk if Beathard's here, playing, right? I have an asterisk here. So again, check me on Sunday in case something wonky happens yeah. and we've got a bunch of injuries, a bunch of changes, a bunch of like what's going on in this situation. For so this is on Thursday, who we have as potentially playing, including CJ Beathard and including you know every injury that's been on there being accounted for and. This is, this is what we're coming I from. get very snooty about college quarterbacks snooty that are drafted uh, higher than I believe, and then they're celebrated. When C.J. Beathard was drafted in the third round, I was like, listen, I've done Iowa games. I don't get that at all, but Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch certainly know more about football than I do. I think we're seeing that the scouts grade on C.J. Beathard, which was day three, maybe even undrafted, probably a little more Accurate. in the right area than, hey, let's celebrate C.J. Beathard in the preseason and what a genius John Lynch is. So and, basically uh, you're Kyle saying Shane that the pink be. opposing locker rooms at Iowa worked <laughs> in this That's case. That's exactly. It was Kirk Ferentz and uh, Aiden Fry and all of it. That's yes, right. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Uh, Raiders-Dolphins. All right, there's an asterisk here on this one, too. I have Oakland 22, Dolphins 21. It is being played in Miami. There's some injury concerns, asterisks, asterisks, asterisks. On this one, check with me on Sunday. All right, so the Oakland Raiders. I'm trying to find something good about their O line because I know you don't. You're you're upset with their O line this year. They have allowed 2.4 quarterback hits per game only, which is the fewest in the league. Okay. I thought you might find that surprising. I've looked at Todd Downing, so he's the new offensive coordinator. He took over from Bill Musgrave this season. How often? What's going on on first down? So they're they're running on first down very infrequently, more infrequently, and they're not actually getting much production out of it, right? Like, you want to get at least four yards on first down on average. You want to have a nice, healthy average to keep your third downs more manageable, and they're not doing that. So that one was, to me, like, okay, interesting. Combine that with went from fifth last season to 28th in deep ball passer rating in the league. That's another troubling stat. A lot of that is there are some drops in there. I know you're going to point that out. But you have Miami Dolphins on first down. They average the second fewest yards. So they're they're both very they're, they're both, both not struggling. doing well on first down. So first down is going to be the key indicator in this game. So what happens on first down could very well determine this game, which is not a very like sexy thing to track in terms of like when you're watching. But that could be the deciding this factor. Is, this, in this is game. kind of a season game for the Raiders. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, this is at three and five. Uh, you lose this one, and it's. Raiders it's, D, though. It sets you back. Look, if there was ever a time for Jay Cutler to have that Jay Cutler crazy.
crazy that bomb game. Secondary like, is brutal. They haven't had a single brutal. interception, and look, their secondary is all injured. They don't have their best players in, so no interceptions so far, and 12 sacks only, which is fourth fewest. Yeah. So you can game if plan there for one, one guy. If you're oh man, if you have to ride with Cutler, if there yeah. was a game to ride with Cutler, this might Cutler, be Cutler, Kenny Stills, let's go. Yeah. Uh, Lions, Packers, final one. All right, so. Even though I hate to do it because I'm a fan of Detroit. I have Detroit winning you 23. You believe you jinx yourself. I, I do. I do believe. But it's the math. I'm reporting the math. The math says Detroit 23, Packers 22. Taylor Decker. He's back. Yay. <laughs> He's back. Oh, all of Michigan is rejoicing. As, David. as they should. <laughs> all right. So Stafford's been sacked 25 times, which is the second most. This could be an improvement in that category in this game. Now, the red zone, though, that's been a problem. Yauza's ranked number 30 in terms of completion percentage for Stafford in the red zone. Lions defense since week five has allowed 33 points per game. However, however, Brett Hundley, Green Bay. 13.5 points per game since week six. That's 31st. Yeah, his the, passer uh, rating second worst. Uh, this is same this thing with the, uh, the Packers that I said with the 49ers when everybody was celebrating the C.J. Beathard, you know, selection when they took Brett Hundley on day three and everyone's like, wow, what, what do they know? They they always do this. They have the gems at quarterback. Now there's there's a reason why Brett Hundley lasted until the third day. Mm -hmm. And after sitting and studying and having a lot of time to try to acclimate to the NFL and learning under the best quarterback. Perhaps that ever lived when it's all said and done, uh, and I'm doing a lot of superlatives today. Love it. Um, he has looked bad, and don't know if if that's going to turn around. Maybe it does. Maybe he had to shake it off after his uh, his last start, but I just don't see it. Not against the Lions defense. I'm, I'm going to pull a little uh, history out on you, and I do me. remember. I'm I'm very aware that the Lions can get Matt Flynn. Remember, you know that it was seven Green touchdowns Bay. in a single game. Yep, that was that was awesome. And yeah. you know, look, it earned him a whole bunch of money in Seattle. But sure did. Seven so million bucks. Anything crazy things can happen. A fantasy note on this one: I do like Martellus Bennett in this matchup. If you're going to take, he's still in the league. Has <laughs> not been used. We all thought it was going to have this huge season in Green Bay, and it just has not happened. <laughs> well, that's this is the week. This is the week before he this retires, week. right? Because he announced that he will be uh, Brett Hundley's Joe Foyer. By the way. <laughs> There you go, harkening back to their UCLA days together. <laughs> all right, that's all the games. We now recap with the confidence index. Cynthia, your three, give, just give us in order maybe, or it doesn't have to be in order, things you feel real confident about that you shared today. Jacksonville winning big. Okay. If He's a great survivor pick if you have already used Houston. I think Houston's the biggest winner. Philadelphia's a big winner. I like the Rams to win. I think you could take, like, if you want to be risky in your survivor pool, take Atlanta over Carolina. Ooh. You and I disagreed on that, but I think that's a that one to me, the, the math comes up pretty strong on that. And I really like Kansas City as well. I no think Zeke. Kansas City, no Zeke. Asterix. Yes. Kansas City, no Zeke. I really like that one, too. That brings us to a conversation you had, Cynthia. Earlier this week, you sat down with three-time Pro Bowl and two-time Super Bowl champ Sean O'Hara. Had him break down how offensive line play this season has been affecting a couple playoff contenders. We're so lucky to be joined today with one of my very favorite coworkers, three-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion, undrafted, walk-on at Rutgers, Sean O'Hara. Thank you so, so much for making some time to sit down with us and chat and tell yeah. us everything about O-line play. Yeah, thank you. I was waiting for the invitation. You know, it took week nine for me to get the call, but I'm, I'm really happy to be here and glad to be uh, joined with you to talk a little football and numbers. Absolutely. Coach, Bill, Coach Brian Billick, who I do a playbook with. Love playbook. He's always talking about this game's a – a game of numbers and angles. Yep. So this is perfect for what we do. I've read Billick's book. 
You did? Uh, yeah. A lot, I, of, a lot of pictures? A lot of, tons. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of drawings. I didn't know he had a book. I'm going to have to I'm gonna Yeah, have to it's a great book. Out. I'll bring it in for you. I still have it. There we yeah. go. Okay. When's Playbook to, on? So just so everyone can You're trying to get rid of no, it. No, never. <laughs> I just want to know when Playbook's on. When is uh, it? Playbook is 6 p.m. Eastern. On Wednesdays, uh, On right? Wednesdays. So uh, throw it on the DVR. On the Network. Yeah, put it on the DVR. Or you can watch it live, I mean, if you're not doing anything else. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it's 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 a good uh, it's a good 30-minute little show. Uh, we we kind of break down things a little bit, kind of like like you do here on Game Theory, Listen, just kind of going, going underneath the uh, uh, underneath the, the layers of the onion a little bit. Well, we're gonna have you go underneath all of the layers of the onion because I think the O line is one of the most complicated things for outsiders who have never played football to really get a good grasp of. It's tough for me, and I played the position. It's you know because you not really, so tough because yeah. you walked on at Rutgers, undrafted, made it three times to the Pro Bowl, and have that ring that's looking right at me in the face. Yeah, well, it's. Uh, I started out as a DN, so I kind of got I matriculated to to the O line position. But it's it, it's such a tough position to evaluate and, and, mm-hmm. and to really understand, just because there's so many working parts. Yep. And uh, I was very fortunate. You know, it's funny. I played for four years for the Browns before I came to the Giants, mm-hmm. and nobody ever really talked about me in in a in Pro Bowl material or that I had that that caliber. It wasn't until they sandwiched me in between two good guards and Chris Knee and Rich Soybert. And with some other good guys that we all kind of became good together. So you really, no other position in the NFL do you really count on the person to your right and your left more than offensive line. And that's probably why it's so hard to evaluate. Absolutely. So here's my question really quick. Dwayne Brown, the left tackle, he went from the Houston Texans after holding out. He ended his holdout. He had played up in Seattle. (laughs) <laughs> now he's going sent, yeah. sent back to Seattle yeah. by could, a trade. Could, could have saved him a flight. Could have saved him a flight, right? So I'm curious how you think he fits there and kind of what is the process of adapting to a new team in this specific position and both mobile quarterbacks. So is that an advantage or disadvantage? Yeah, I think for Dwayne, he's such a veteran. You know, he, he, he'll be able to attach concepts. You know, they might say, hey, look, this play is called Ride 34 Zorro. And mm-hmm. in Houston, you call it 96 Blunt. You know, and it's like, okay, I get it. I get the concept. Translation. It's different, different wording. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's remarkable that Dwayne sat out all training camp, didn't play all season, and then shows up kind of like Walter Jones used to do. Walter Jones would sit out all training camp, push his Cadillac Escalade up and down his neighborhood, and then show up week one because they franchise tagged him and say, all right, I'm ready to rock, and he would ball out and make the Pro Bowl. That's kind of what Dwayne Brown did and just kind of came out. Number one, the fact he was in enough shape and conditioning to play the whole game, but – Number two, to play at such a high level, he is kind of like Jason Peters, yep. very physical and stout, but also has really good footwork and really good hands. So he's going to be a great addition for the Seahawks O-line. Obviously, the pass protection, yep. Russell Wilson, I feel like he's been running for his life since Marshawn left and that run game went out the door with him. Um, but they've And what about, in, what about on the, in the run game? They were unable to get the run yeah. game going last week, even though... Yeah, the run game they has won. been atrocious. And it's, you know, sometimes it's two or three guys getting beat. Sometimes it's just one guy, but... That left tackle position, especially, you know, for Russell Wilson, if, if you're always in shotgun and, and you're trying to run that little read option that he loved to run with Marshawn, you're reading that backside defensive end. But it's the three-technique defense tackle or the nose on the backside that you really have to do a good job of cutting off. And that's where I think Dwayne Brown can really help with that because you're at, your left tackle has to be athletic enough to cut off a backside defender, which now with the the cut blocking rule, you can't post up a defender now as a guard and have your tackle come in and slice him underneath. That's no longer allowed. So now the guards have to avoid that defensive tackle. And basically your tackle is just, he has to cut off a defender all by himself. He basically has to outrun him mm-hmm. and then also get vertical pressure uh, on the backside. It's tough to do. Dwayne Brown does a really good job. He's almost as 
good of a run blocker as he is pass blocker. Which so is great. So you want that balance. It's a win for Seattle all across the board. And they can kind of move um, Odiyama now if they want to inside because Luke Jokel has been banged up. They've been playing Ethan Posick. Um, and, you know, it kind of just adds a little stability in there. For Houston, I'm not sure what, they, what they're going to do uh, with Deshaun Watson. But, uh, you know, the good thing about Deshaun is he can make guys miss. He can, he can get free in a phone booth, as we saw. <laughs> All right, so let's spin this forward to now Denver, and let's talk about what's going on with the Denver O-line. Now, we see Brock Osweiler starting in this game this week. This is going to be an interesting kind of test because their O-line has been a problem, right? That's been something that the increased pressure is a type of pressure. Now, I'm not going to pretend that Trevor Simeon played really well in week eight, but I'm going to say that there is a little chicken and a little egg here. So how do do we kind of contextualize that? I think this offense is going to look a lot different with Brock Oswald. I think they're just to the point now where, hey, look, we've got to run the rock. And we've got to protect our right tackle. Menelik Watson's really struggling pass pro. Look, he struggled in Oakland. That's why Mm -hmm. they didn't re-sign him. Um, I think Denver is is a pretty good run-blocking unit. Mm Mm-hmm. I think Matt Paradis is a very underrated center. Um, you know, he, he doesn't get a lot of credit or recognition because he's not tall and, you know, but at center, that's okay. You can get away with that. Um, I think they're going to just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball and say, listen, three runs and a punt is better than an interception. It's better than a turnover. So uh, I think for, for Denver, their offensive line is much better when you have first down production. That's so critical when your offense is struggling. Because if you look at first down and you're losing yards on a run or it's an incomplete pass, now you're in second and third and longs, you, you know, you, you're, you're just kind of catering to the defense. Um, I've been really impressed with Garrett Bowles, how mm-hmm. athletic he is. There was a lot of question marks coming out. Could he play left tackle? Could he, could he hold up? Um, he's going to get stronger and get firmer. He needs to settle in more on the bull rush. He kind of struggles with that, but a lot of young tackles do. So I think the Denver's offense will look a lot different not because Brock Osweiler is that much better than Simeon, but I think they're just going to morph that game plan a little more and say, we're taking care of the football and let's be conservative. Absolutely. So I've saved the best for last because obviously you have a disproportionate knowledge of the Giants compared to almost anyone in this entire building and maybe anyone in oh, entire. Yeah, they're, they're still playing. I they're, oh, stop. They're stop. So face a tough test this week against a really great defense in the, in the Rams. Yeah. So this is going to be a tricky kind of test for this O-line that we've seen now. I, I, I know I've heard you say some really amazing stuff about like what to look for and how to contextualize this, but like, what are we as outsiders? Like what are, what's going on in there? Like how, how are they, how's their O-line feeling? Like they, Eric Flowers specifically has taken a lot of heat. So help us, help us understand. Yeah. Eric Flowers, you know, look, he struggled and especially early on, you know, I, I, he came out early, you know, he was drafted at 21 years old. So I, I really think, you know, look, it's, it's a tough decision to make when you're coming out of college. He could have, Definitely benefited from another year in college, but look, when you're you have a chance to be the ninth overall pick, you know I would take I, it. I, I get it. I don't blame him. Um, you know, for Flowers, he, he's he's gotten better this year. Now he's still kind of become the whipping boy. In right, New York. it's not. It's a little not fair. Yeah, it's, I right. mean, it's look if, if Eli gets hit, it's automatically Flowers' fault. You know, it's just kind of that's kind of the narrative that's that's gone on. He still struggles with a lot of elementary aspects and techniques in O-line play, which that to me is what's frustrating to see and what's a head-scratcher. If you want to know good offensive line coaching and good offensive line groups, all you have to do is turn on the tape and all their footwork looks the same. Yep. They're all stepping with the same feet. In in, in combo blocks, they all look the same. You could pull up the Dallas Cowboys, the Pittsburgh Steelers, some of these groups that we just named, the Tennessee Titans, and if it's a a run play to the right or to the left, you could flip-flop them and you wouldn't know which – 
player was which because they all look similar. The Giants, you turn them on, they look like five totally different offensive linemen. They're, they don't have the same footwork. I just talked about Eric Flowers on the backside of run plays. He's really struggled with that because I think he's, he's really tight in the hips, and he can't open up and run. And as good as they've said his footwork is coming out, he's not as athletic as you would think he would be. Um, and the hands, he's always struggled with his hands. You know, he looks like Yogi Bear the way that he just kind of hugs everybody. And he's got away with it in college, so it's kind of become a bad habit for him. He's really – you can see him working on it. He's really tried. When he gets his hands inside, he's a really good left tackle because he's really strong. But he doesn't trust that punch. And when he starts to go against a speed rusher or a guy that's got a little shake and bake, he doesn't trust the punch, so then he just grabs. It's kind of like his safety net. And that's where he gets himself in trouble. Um, the other thing that, that I look at, too, is you should never have your face – in the block in pass pro. So anytime you watch a tackle and you see him get beat, nine times out of ten, it's because he got his face in the block. And when you bring your face with the punch and they swipe your hands and they chop him down, your head goes down too. And when that happens, you're done. They're by your shoulder. Taylor Lewan, one of the best things you, you I talked about his pass pro, look at his head when he sets. When he pass pros, his head is back. Now, you could chop your hands down all you want, and his head's not going to move, so you're never going to beat him. You're never going to get by his hips because he keeps his head out. That's one of the things that Eric Flowers really needs to work on. I can't tell you how many times I've seen him get beaten. It's just that simple getting your face into the block. Now, the Giants have struggled as a group because of the injuries. Right. Hart was out. They moved Justin Pugh, and then they moved John Jerry. And it's then Richburg's out with a concussion, and Brett Jones has been in. I think Brett Jones has actually done a really good job. I, I think he's been phenomenal in the run game, and he's a little spark plug. You know, He's like the size of a fire hydrant, but he's got really good – run action. One of the things we always say as O-linemen is get your feet out of the hole for two reasons. Number one, it creates movement in the run game, but also protects you from guys falling on your ankles. That's how you get hurt. He does a great job getting his feet out of the hole on back blocks and, and a lot of those A-gap runs that we saw Orleans Darkwell bust against Denver were in the A-gaps, and they've done a pretty good job with that. But the Giants O-line, here's the problem. The problem is just that a lot of their runs are shotgun runs, and they're out of two-point it, they're not. They don't. They don't get to fire out and be super aggressive a lot of times. And then, at the end of the game, it, they try to go in their form and offense, and they try to run run plays they haven't been running all game long, and it doesn't work. So, that's where it's. I'm sure they're frustrated too. You know, as offensive linemen, if you don't get 25 runs in a game, it's hard to get rhythm. And we saw once Mike Sullivan kind of took over that they committed to that run. As long as they do that, it will help them out. Um, but they also. Right now, they don't have anybody to throw it to. So right. it's it's really a hot mess right now. So I'm going to put that 25 runs in a game as like a really great benchmark and look at the yeah. entire league and we'll chat about it and maybe kind of follow up on that. Cool. But do you uh, think that do you think the Giants win this week? Um, Giants or Rams? I think the Giants have a chance. To, here's Close the game. crazy thing is I just – the Janoris Jenkins just getting suspended. Mm-hmm. This is the number one scoring offense in the NFL. Who would have thought that the, the Rams right. would have that moniker? Yeah, that's a big deal. But now, Allison, you lose your best corner. Right. Now, to me, as good as Janoris Jenkins is in the passing game, Jenkins, Jack Rabbit loves to hit people. That's right. He's a really good tackler. Well, especially with those short passes to Todd Gurley. Yeah. Well, last time I checked, Todd Gurley, he can run over people, run sure through can. people. So yeah. now you're, you're losing your best tackling corner. That, to me, is a big blow. This defense has, has really been disappointing this year based on how well they played last year. So uh, I think defense, they've got to come up with some turnovers, come up with some sort of – uh, you know, JPP's got to have a big game. 
some, some way they got to create some energy for this offense. Um, and then Evan Ingram obviously has kind of become the, uh, the, the one-man band there offensively. So they, they've always, they always have a shot anytime you get a, a team yep. traveling across the coast. I, I'm slating you down for picking the Giants. I'm going to go, I'm you're gonna picking pick the, the Giants by two that, touchdowns I, always. I, I, I bleed blue, uh, <laughs> and I cry it too. Oh, well, thank you so much for thank you so much for taking the time. Like yeah, I love fun. talking to you in the green room. I love talking football with you. I learned so much every single time I talk to you. Thank you so much. Please, My everybody, pleasure. watch Playbook, 6 p.m. on Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern. You can throw it on your DVR. If you're not home during that time, Thank you so much. Please come back again. Thank you. I will. I got to give a shout out to, to Rhett. He's our yeah. host. R- oh Rhett. yeah, Rhett. Rhett. I love Rhett. His moniker is always bring your playbook. Bring your so, playbook. Yeah. Well, no surprise. Great conversation there uh, between you and Sean O'Hara. He's the best. He is the best. I love that he was undrafted. I love that he walked on at Rutgers. I love Amen. all of that. That's right. Rutgers. Blue collar. Bring your lunch pail. Punch the clock. All those cliches. They all apply to Sean O'Hara, the New Jersey Jersey guy that he is. All right. We uh, would love for you, if you don't mind. Helping us spread the word, uh, sharing the Game Theory Money podcast uh, via Twitter, via Facebook. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the pod on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, available on all those platforms. And if you wouldn't mind, leave us a rating and a review. It does help us out because we are new and still trying to grow this thing. Uh, This review is submitted by someone... Well, with more a lot degrees of, than me. A lot of initialisms at the Th- end of his this name. This is more degrees than me. Dr. Mario. Now, I read Dr. Mario, and you know what I think? Yeah, more, like the, freaking the Dr. Pill, Mario, the, yeah, the like pill the game. game. Yeah. Absolutely, on Nintendo. But Dr. Mario here has a Ph.D. He's got an MBA. And he's a dentist. DDS. I love it. So, uh, me. if you need I some love caps, it. Good job, Dr. Mario. And you want to look all weird like some John veneers. Lackey. Then, you know uh, who has some great veneers? A-Rod. Uh, those are high-priced veneers. You know who has really bad veneers? John Lackey. Some of the worst <laughs> in the game. Perfect blend. Uh, this is this is Doc Mario's review. Perfect blend of statistical gritness, he calls it, with intelligent use of relevant stats, without being inaccessible to us plebs. Pleb. Great preview of the upcoming NFL weekend. Should have you. Should you have the urge to partake in? Well, fun. <clears throat> Matt is always good. Listen with his POV. That's point of view. And Cynthia, a revelation with her unique I analysis. I can't handle all this. Yeah, I'm really good. bad at taking we need compliments. Some negative reviews. I don't like it. Don't like it, John. <laughs> Don't like it, producer John. That's okay. My mom keeps us honest. She only likes you. Highly, (laughs) highly recommended. All right, everybody. Thank you for downloading, streaming, listening, subscribing, spreading the word. We'll be back again next week to preview week 10. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking about 30, what would it be then? 36 and 3. Another 12 and a week coming your way. That's what we're talking about, Cynthia. All right. Thanks, everybody. No pressure.